1: are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando magic podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast
2: Network. Hello everyone, it is September 1st, 2016 and you are indeed Locked On Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Philip Rossman Reich, I'm the site expert and editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com and on today's show we're going to talk a little bit about expectations for the Orlando Magic this season and how those expectations get set and and why expectations nationally might be low for the Magic or what some of those questions are. I'm sure we've addressed them plenty of times already on the podcast. We're also going to talk continue talking about our list of the top 25 Magic players of all time uh, as we get through number 6 through 10 on our list. Uh, with David Iwanowski of OrlandoMagicDaily. dot com, a, a contributor over there uh, on the site. Uh, but first, I do want to talk very, very briefly about uh, a lot packed into the show. So I do want to, but I do want to talk very, very briefly about Nikola Vucevic and Montenegro starting their bid to uh, qualify for EuroBasket uh, next summer, the premier European basketball tournament. It's a big deal. Nikola Vucevic has not played for Montenegro since twenty thirteen. He's had some issues with his coach. Uh, with the former coach uh, for Montenegro, but now they have a new coach, and he's very committed to the team and very happy and excited to be part of the team. Uh, he's been over there for, for a while now, for for about a month, I would say, uh, and he tweeted a photo, of course, uh, from the gym, uh, certainly not NBA gym, but but very excited to be playing, and Montenegro came out and gave a good show for their home crowd. Uh, they demolished Slovak Republic 97-65, to 65 over at the Maraca Sports Center in Podgorica, in Montenegro. Uh, just a dominant performance. Took control early. Uh, we're up 22-13 after one quarter. Uh, went up 40-28 to after two quarters, and it was just smooth sailing from there. They were up big very, very early. Uh, and Montenegro didn't need Nikola Vucevic very much. Scored 12 points, grabbed 6 rebounds, 5-for-8 shooting, 2-for-2 two two from the line in 19 minutes of play. Vucevic had six points early, was leading the team in scoring as they took control of the game in the first quarter, uh, and that's really all they needed. Uh, so uh, couldn't didn't get a chance to to watch the game physically, so I don't know how he played defensively. Didn't have any block shots or anything like that, but was plus eighteen. Pretty much, Montenegro dominated a weaker opponent. Like I've like I've said whenever I've talked about this tournament, Montenegro is favored to win their group and advance to EuroBasket would be a huge step. Uh, for that national team if they are able to do that and and surely they'll be challenged a little bit more down the road they'll play Slovak Republic again uh, they've got Georgia which is uh, the other team that that could challenge for for that group as well but a solid outing for Nikola Vucevic not no concerns at all he made all his he made his shots 5 for 8 is a is a good percentage for him uh, and as long as he's doing that and producing at a, at a decent clip for his team uh, he is having a good tournament uh, not expecting a whole lot out of him he only played again 1933 so if he's playing a regular regular amount of minutes he's probably getting what 20 points and 7 8 9 rebounds i mean that's that's about what you'd expect from him in this tournament uh, so a good showing for Nikola Vucevic as Montenegro wins their Eurobasket qualifying opener fairly easily
0: Aces place with the helpful hardware folks
2: On to our main topic of discussion today, and that is what to make of expectations for the Orlando Magic. Uh, obviously, the national perception of the Orlando Magic is very different than what, what fans have, and, and it, it varies pretty pretty widely. Uh, but generally, the perception has been, this Magic team should be better, but we're not sure if they're going to make the playoffs or we're not willing to pull the trigger. And the most recent... Uh, uh, projections that came out were the real plus minus projections that came out from Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com. He's used it as kind of a projection model, and he admits that it kind of goes conservative. Uh, and it had the Magic stuck at 35 wins. It, it seems like the statistic, the, the ESPN panel had the, had the Magic at 35 wins. Uh, now the statistical measure also has the Magic at 35 wins, and. Certainly, it could value certain things differently or use you know some stats from last year that 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 aren't as favorable as, as the magic expect guys to take on bigger roles uh, but the the plain fact remains that the numbers seem to suggest the magic are gonna kind of stagnate um, The magic had a confusing summer, and I think everyone's trying to make sense of it in a lot of way, and that includes someone like Pelton who uses statistics to to, to, to make these projections uh, he was recently on an episode of locked on NBA podcast with David Locke uh, and explained a little bit about what he thought about the magic and and why the number how the numbers saw the magic this season
0: so Orlando's the mystery team I'm not sure anybody quite understands what they just did. what's your take is there a numerical answer to what they did that made sense? Uh,
1: no I mean you know individual moves maybe made sense I think you know' it's mac Biombo. Is, is a backup center is pretty good. 18 million is a lot for him uh, to play backup center for you. You know, Serge Ibaka has not been the same player the last couple of years, and it is not really expected to bounce back. But I think they're optimistic that a larger offensive role will help him have more energy at the defensive end. But uh, then you look at. You know, Jeff Green for 15 million, where does he fit in this roster? Aaron Gordon's probably sliding out to small forward where his shooting is going to be a minus, and they already have a non shooter at point guard and Alfred Payton. So, how do they space the floor? And uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that that they might be somewhat better than last year, but hard to see them really jumping up into playoff contention.
2: And I think that's the general sentiment around the nation. Uh, Everyone just kind of wants to see how this all fits together. Uh, Certainly, Serge Baca, uh, has seen a down downfall in his, his in his in his career the last few years. He's seen his numbers drop uh, precipitously across the board, uh, even though he still has that strong rim protection that that so many teams want, uh, and no one's quite sure if he's going to be able to get it back and whether the Magic or the team to help him get it back. Uh, we see a guy like uh, you know. Bismack Biamba, where does he fit with Nikola Vucevic? How does Aaron Gordon move to the three? And all of this just raises more questions and makes them say, well, the Magic improved their talent. They've they got a better coach now. They maybe have figured out their identity. But we still don't know how this is all going to work together. I'm not willing to, to put my neck out on the line for them. And that's okay. I, I think that's a perfectly fair and reasonable take to, to have. But... You know, as I've said, I do think the magic got better. I'm I'm in that boat too. I'm not sure how much better they got. I, I you know I'm I'm beginning to settle in that they're probably a 38 to 43 win team realistically. Like I said, I could see them winning 30. I could see them winning 45, 50. Um, but but if I were to set my range right now, and I, I tend when I make predictions, I tend to to put them in ranges because there's there's some variability. I would say they're in the 38 to 43 range. Um, and, and I'm feeling very comfortable saying saying publicly that the Magic will win 40 games this year. Uh, to me, all their moves this year were driven by this desire to create an identity, something they haven't had for the last four years. And that identity being on the defensive end because defense gets you in the playoffs and that's ultimately where the Magic want to go and, and are desperate to go at that. But all these predictions again, all these expectations cast doubt on what the Magic did. They, 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 we, we live in this era in the NBA now where it's championship or bust, and striving to be in the middle is not something to, to, to celebrate. And so the Magic kind of giving up on this rebuilding plan and and pushing in some chips in a way that doesn't make a ton of sense to a lot of people, and and I, I think this is completely fair if, if this is the perspective you're coming from, uh, certainly raises questions about whether this team can win a championship anymore. That's not to say the way they were building was going to get them there anyway, but but at least it seemed like they had a direction, they were holding on to assets, they weren't kind of splurging for the sake of splurging. The ma- I, I'm not sold the Magic are completely in that boat either. Um, I think that that they took steps to get themselves closer to an identity and, and potentially closer uh, to to getting that star or or to to finding that that way forward this year, but but it's not an easy straight path, and 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 that certainly is being proven out too. To me, this Magic team is going to have to feed off all these kind of negative expectations or this expectation that they're going to stagnate. I don't know if that's Frank Vogel's style. I don't know if he's the kind of guy that like Doc Rivers, you know, puts newspaper clippings up on the on the bulletin board and says, This this is what everyone's saying about us, prove them wrong. I don't know if this magic team is quite there. I think I think this is a team that's gonna say, We know who we are, we know what we have to do, and if we do it, we will be successful, and all that noise will take care of itself. You know, the the two K ratings have come out are beginning to leak out and, and the magic do not fare well and and certainly there are a lot of questions, and, and I think I, I made this joke, I may have to wait for the first update before I play with the Magic, because it's going to be tough, tough. Not a lot of people are expecting much from this Magic team right now. And so, the way the Magic deal with those expectations, or those lack of expectations, is going to be really telling, especially early in the season. Judging by things Serge Ibaka has written, uh, he wrote a really good article for the Players' Tribune about his journey to the NBA, and he wrote another really good article uh, for Sports Illustrated and The Cauldron on his crazy, crazy summer. And everything he says is he's all about hard work and he's excited for this opportunity to lead uh, and and be the guy for this team and be a leader for this team. Uh, you hear, you know, uh, you see some of the things Evan Fournier has done around town. Uh, you see, you know... You just being around a lot of these guys, I know they're hungry to win. A lot of them are tired of the losing. And so the question is, you know, are they going to be committed enough to to do, to do what it takes to win? Are they going to have the knowledge to do what it takes to win? And I think that's the next big question for the magic and that, that'll be the question that they have to answer very, very early on in the season. And expectations change. You do really well, you get off to a hot start. you're, you're comfortably in the playoff picture. All of a sudden, it's now, we we don't want to just get in the playoffs. We want to advance. We want to get better. Those expectations will change very, very quickly. The Magic have their goals, and to me, they need to cut out all this noise. They need to not worry about what I'm saying, not worry about what Kevin Pelton is saying, and focus in on what they need to do and their internal goals and expectations for themselves. That's all that matters. That's all they they should measure themselves up to. And if they do that, they should have a successful season. Be sure to listen to Locked On NBA with David Locke, a fantastic podcast. He's had some great guests. He, we, we played a clip earlier this, this, year, this uh, month um, from an anonymous scout talking about the magic. Uh, had great guests like Kevin Pelton on uh, recently. That's a really good episode. Goes through uh, a lot of his projections with Real Plus Minus, why he likes that statistic, as well as really going through every single team in the East and the West. Uh, uh, on how he projects that they'll do this year. Really, really worth your listen. So head on to iTunes, Audioboom, Stitcher, uh, and download the Locked On NBA podcast. David Locke does some really great things with that podcast. Certainly worth your listen there. Ace is the place
0: with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is nine ninety nine. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.
2: And I'm joined now by David Ivanowski, who was on our panel uh, picking the top 25 players in Magic history. David, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right, getting through the doldrums here. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, so I am gonna immediately after I'm done here. I'm gonna be frantically trying to find a stream for uh, Nikola Vucevic's game in Montenegro. Uh, he, he tweeted a photo before tip-off, so uh, I'm excited for some real live basketball in the middle in, the, in late August, early September. But before we get to before we get to that, or, or I actually have already talked about that on this podcast. But uh, before I get to that, and and in the Future, I guess, uh, since you already know the results, but, you know, ignore me there. Uh, We're going to talk about number six through 10 on the Orlando Magic Daily top 25 list of the greatest players in Orlando Magic history. And I think this one is going to be the most controversial of the five. Uh, I'm sure this is always up for debate. And I I think, you know, we all had guys different places, but number 10 on our list is probably going to be someone that a lot of people think should be higher uh, because he's such a fan favorite. And that's going to be Daryl Armstrong. Daryl Armstrong, right or wrong at number 10?
1: It seemed right to me. Uh, So as a younger fan, I'm only 20. I didn't really watch much basketball until the Dwight Howard era. So for me, grading Daryl Armstrong, it was purely off of statistics and not about uh, what he meant to the team or to the fans or to the city. So he was a pretty good player played nine seasons in Orlando, but he never had a strong star season that some of the players ranked ahead of him had. And that is a big reason why he was only at number 10 on the list. I'm not sure exactly who I would want to bump back for him.
2: And I I think, I think that's completely fair. Certainly with Daryl, it's a lot more about sentimentality than it is about his numbers. I had him number six on my list. You had him number 12, um, I, actually, I think I actually had him the highest of any any person on the panel. Uh, surprisingly, you did not have him the lowest, and I think that, I think that's a really good point, that for younger fans, they don't know Daryl Armstrong very much. I mean, I'm sure they know the story about the Heart and Hustle team, uh, but ultimately that team didn't make the playoffs, and Daryl was always kind of a, a bit player on some bigger teams. Uh, he wasn't a big statistical guy. He was just kind of a, a, a an intangible player, and, and that's why Magic fans love him, don't get me wrong, and that's why... I'll always have a special place in my heart. And when I tell non-Magic fans, you know, Daryl Armstrong's probably one of the four, you know, one of the five or six most important players in team history. They'll look at me funny and they'll be like, who? Who's Daryl Armstrong? He's he's just not a guy that's known very much outside of Magic fans. And, and, and you know, as a kind of second generation of Magic fans come into existence, he's not someone that's going to necessarily be known except by people my age and, and people, people older who you know, grew up watching him play, saw him play, and kind of saw the heart heart and hustle, excuse the pun, uh, that he put out on the court every single night.
1: Yeah, so he he was still a really good player. I mean, he had a good overall effect offensively and defensively. And as you mentioned, he was really important, especially to those late 90s, early 2000s teams. It's just... I don't know how much higher he could possibly have been on this list. Yeah, and, and
2: I've I've been doing I, I've been doing some some other kind of statistical historical studies, and and you know I my heart wants me to put Daryl higher, and obviously I did on my list. But when you break him down simply by the numbers, I think his, his 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 statistics are certainly overstated for what they actually are. Um, you know, certainly his impact goes beyond statistics, and I think that's why he still kind of rises to the top. But It's still a guy that, you know, played well above his talent level, inspired a lot of of the team, played really, really hard, but wasn't necessarily kind of a star-quality guy. And and that's about where we're getting to on this list now at number 10 are guys who are star players on the team and the the faces of the franchise and kind of the cornerstone members of the franchise, and Daryl certainly is that. Uh, Moving on now to number 9, we have another fan favorite, another guy a lot of people still really like. Dennis Scott, one of the one of the most important. How would you evaluate Dennis Scott's career? I mean, I I I know Rick Camel of NBA TV always says Dennis Scott is one of the most influential players in NBA history for how he used the three point line and revolutionized the three point line.
1: Yeah, I agree with that statement. I mean, he was a great three point shooter in a time where three point shooting was not as prevalent as today. Looking back on it, and obviously I didn't watch the team. That those years. I was born uh, October of 1995, but it seems He's to me that, uh, yeah, that uh, Dennis got a really effective player, and it kind of surprises me that he didn't start as many games or didn't play as much as I would have expected. In 1994, 1995, the year they went to the finals, he only played about 24 minutes a game, while the next season he played 37. So I think they realized that how much of an effective player he was, and they put him in the starting lineup for all 82 games that season. But he was a really effective offensive player.
2: And certainly the three-point line moving in a foot didn't didn't hurt him either. Uh, through his career with the Orlando Magic, so that's seven seasons, he shot 40.3% from beyond the arc. Amazingly, only took five and a half three-pointers per game. Uh, by the 96th season, he was taking 7.7 three-pointers per game. I mean, the Magic, I mean, it's, it's so difficult for, for people who watch the NBA now to kind of remember and understand this. Nobody used the three-point line effectively in the NBA back in the mid-'90s. Uh, the Magic and the Rockets were really kind of revolutionary with how they began using the three-point line as a way to spread the floor for their big men, uh, and Dennis Scott was a big part of that. He was, he was probably the best three-point shooter in the league. I mean, he never won the three-point contest, which is, contest, which is really a shame, but uh, he was just a marksman, and you had to account for him at all times. He wasn't a, a cutter like a Kyle Korver. But even as a even as a spot up shooter, he was someone that a defense had to know where he was at all times, or he dropped you know ten threes on you like he did against the Hawks in '96.
1: Yeah, and that was such a such a huge weapon, especially back then when not as many teams were shooting threes. To have a guy who can do it so effectively and make that a, a consistent part of the offense was a big deal, and part of the reason that the team was so successful offensively.
2: Yeah, and uh, and. Again, this is, he's just such a fan favorite as well, just a great personality, uh, someone that really grew up with the Magic. Uh, he was the second-ever first-round pick by the Magic in, 19, in the 1990 NBA draft, uh, and really helped change the team in a lot of ways, and, and accepted a role, and, and played really well for a title-contending team. Moving on to number eight on our list, another fan favorite, another guy that, that some people might say we've ranked a little too low, especially considering who we have, number seven, uh, but number eight is Jameer Nelson. What what can I mean? This is certainly a little bit more in, in your wheelhouse. I, I think I, I think you did you write the, the the recap on Jameer? No, you wrote you wrote. You wrote I wrote Rashard. Rashard's. You wrote yeah. Rashard at number seven. That, 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 that ruins that surprise. Um, but <laughs> Jameer Nelson, obviously, you know, one of the longest tenured Magic players, one of the guys who's who's really beloved for sticking with the team for so long. What are your thoughts on Jameer Nelson when you look back at his time uh, with the Orlando Magic?
1: Jameer Nelson was a huge player for the team, obviously. First-round pick. Came up with Dwight. They really grew together. He was an effective point guard, specifically offensively. Good score. He could shoot the ball. And he made an all-star team in 2008, 2009. Something that a lot of analysts forget. Uh, I forget which podcast it was, but someone recently was talking about Dwight and saying he's never played with a good point guard. But Jameer Nelson did make an all-star game in 2008, 2009. He was a leader on the team, And he was a very good offensive player. I didn't have him higher just because he didn't quite reach that game-changer level for any specific season. So it was kind of like the Daryl Armstrong situation where he had a nice effect over his 10 seasons in Orlando. But he was never quite that superstar that perhaps they would have needed to win the championship in 2008-2009, or perhaps they would have needed to keep Dwight Howard in Orlando. So that's why I believe he wasn't any higher on this list, but I think he definitely deserved to be in the top 10.
2: For sure, and certainly for his longevity. And, and, and it isn't that—I mean, Jameer Nelson deserved to be an All-Star in 2009. His, his stat line that season was incredible in 42 games— he shot 50.3% from the floor, 45.3% from beyond the arc. This isn't more than half a season, so these stats are pretty robust. 16.7 points per game and 5.4 assists per game. He was really, really good that season, deserved the all star push that he got. And, and if he hadn't uh, injured his shoulder, who knows what that Magic team would have been. Uh, he was, I mean, he, the, the Magic's coming out party in 2009 was against the Los Angeles Lakers when Jameer Nelson just tore up Derek Fisher. Uh, and, and that was that served notice to the entire league that the magic were a serious threat for the title and you know maybe two, two weeks later he was on the shelf for, for pretty much the rest of the season. Uh, a lot of fans still kind of bring up the fact that he came back in that 09 finals and some people believe that cost him the championship. I don't believe that. I think the Lakers were the better team that series and, and just knew how to knew how to stymie Dwight Howard and had the right matchup for that. Uh, but Nelson, was always a guy to me that just did what his team, what his team asked him to do. Uh, he was a capable scorer. He wasn't a traditional pass-first point guard, which is maybe what the Magic needed. Maybe the Magic needed a little bit more from that position while they were contending. But Nelson was more than serviceable. He knew how to run Stan Van Gundy schemes. Uh, he fit that team perfectly. And frankly, I, I don't know what more you could ask for. Ask for a guy that 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 was really a borderline All Star for much of his career in Orlando, especially beginning with that 2009 season. Uh, he just he was a scorer first, and that was always his knock. Um, but he had a perfect pair and and was the perfect guard for that 2009 and even that 2010 team that that nearly won the championship.
1: Yeah, and health issues were a thing, obviously. Um, yeah. But that season that you keep talking about, about 2009, 2010, the team is incredible, and he was a big part of that, especially yep. in the playoffs when they stuck through the first two rounds. His offense was just hard to stop. He was a great scorer, and I think he worked well with Dwight Howard as a compliment because of his shooting ability, because of his outside, and because he didn't need to dominate the ball. He could allow the offense to flow through Dwight. He could play off the ball. He could help run the offense.
2: And and having Hito Turklu there to, to handle the ball also was a big help, too, because it allowed him to play off the ball, be more of a scorer and less of a distributor, which, which fit his skill set a little bit better, too, and... Uh, I think Raymond Felton is still having nightmares uh, about Jameer Nelson from the 2010 playoffs and, and what he did to him uh, in that series. Uh, moving on now to number uh, seven, uh, the guy that you wrote, that you wrote about, and this this will be up on OrlandoMagicDaily.com on Thursday. Uh, our write up on the on the uh, six through ten players, and you can also find the list of uh, the previous the previous uh, editions of our list uh, going from t- uh, eleven to twenty five. Up on OrlandoMagicDaily.com, number seven, probably a little controversial here, um, but I think those who know those Magic teams of the late 2000s know how important Rashard Lewis was to the team. Uh, to me, he made that team special, even if his statistics didn't match his salary. Uh, what do you what do you think about Rashard Lewis, and, and, and why did, did you why do you think he should be number seven, and and why did you put him number six on your list?
1: I totally agree with you that he is what made those teams special. So when they signed him to that huge contract in 2007, that was kind of the symbol that the Magic were back, that the Magic were ready to compete with this young team. They hadn't really done anything in the playoffs despite slowly increasing their win totals. But Once they got a top free agent to come, a guy of that caliber, they were back in the contending mix. I think that was probably the first year I had NBA League Pass, 2007, 2008. So. Rashad Lewis was an impact player in all of the seasons here. And I think the only reason why it may be controversial is because he was traded in his fourth season, I believe. Yes. But yeah, so he made the team special by his unique skill set. He had the abilities of a guard. He could shoot. He could drive to the basket. He could create plays. He can drive. He could do everything. But he was 6'10. He had the size of a power forward. And that was a huge uh, asset to the magic. And honestly, it's a big reason for the revolution that we have today with a lot of uh, smaller shooters out on uh, playing the four technically, but playing more at the perimeter and playing more of a four out position. So he, that, that team was even mentioned in Sam Hinkie's letter for creating this movement. And without Richard Lewis, they wouldn't have been able to do that without a guy at the four position who was really versatile, could play the offense of a guard, could space the floor for Dwight Howard, but could also bang down low and prevent easy opportunities from opposing big man. Without that, the Magic definitely weren't a title contender. Yeah, And 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 that was really important.
2: And one place the Magic really underused him, I think, was on the low post. He was actually a very, very good low post player, even against other power forwards. Uh, He averaged 16.3 points per game, had a, uh, I believe it was a 54.1 effective field goal percentage, was just, just perfect for what the Magic eventually were going to do. And, and it's really, it's a funny story. It was kind of a happy accident that the Magic ended up playing Richard Lewis at the Power Forward. Uh, Dwight Howard tore Tony Batiste's rotator cuff in practice, just going just playing against each other. And that left the Magic with a big hole at Power Forward. And Stan Van Gundy came up with the idea to, to put Lewis there. Uh, it forced him to sacrifice some of those post looks and fat, sacrifice some of his scoring. Uh, but Lewis was always a consummate teammate. He did whatever the team asked. He did what the team asked him to do, and he didn't maybe score at the level that that everyone wants a max contract player to score at. And eventually, the Magic did have to trade him because he was eating up a lot of salary, and and they brought in Gilbert Arenas for for better or for worse. Um, you know that that deal can certainly be criticized until uh, the cows come home. Uh, but Lewis was a really solid player and, and an instrumental to. Uh, Turning that team into a championship team and making it really, really special. To where, you know, when we talk about who created the Golden State Warriors and the juggernaut that they that they've become, we go you go from the seven seconds or less Suns to the two thousand nine Magic pretty, pretty quickly. And the Magic were really the first team to make the finals using the three point shot, using this this uh, pace and space style uh, to make the to make the finals. They're the first team to really compete for a title uh, with that style of play and, and show the league you can be successful playing defense with a smaller lineup and shooting a lot of threes.
1: Yeah. And so his first two seasons in Orlando, he averaged almost 10 win shares a game, which is high. Um, And I think if you look at his overall effect on the team, there's not much, I, I can't see much to complain about with the contract. I guess, yeah, they gave him a lot of money, but if you want a player, you have to pay him what the value is. And I think, Anybody who criticizes him for making so much money and not averaging whatever 20 points or, uh, or I guess would be the type of person to like look at someone like Al Horford and say maybe he's not worth a max contract because he only averages 14 points a game, which I think nowadays people are past that point of view and realize that there's more than just simple box score stats. Sure. And I think sure. the overall effect that Lewis had was remarkable, and that's why he's towards the top of this list.
2: Yeah. Uh, moving on now to the final guy we're going to talk about on today's show, number six, the original <sighs> Magic Man, Nick Anderson. Uh, I, I think nationally people still have uh, some reservations about they don't understand why Magic fans love Nick Anderson so much because of what happened in the 95 Finals. But really, his tenure with Orlando was was so much more than just that one moment. I, like I said, he is the original... Magic player, the, the first draft pick in franchise history, uh, and someone who was really good for, for 10 seasons in Orlando and helped make this franchise what it is and is still very beloved uh, in, in, the, in the community. Uh, as, you know, as someone, now I'd like to actually get your perspective on this. As someone who didn't grow up watching him play, what is your perspective on, on Nick Anderson and where he stands within Magic history?
1: Yes, I've seen enough of that. team in that era to see the kind of overall effect that Nick Anderson had on both sides of the ball. Not just that, but as an overall leader with the team, like you said, he was there from the beginning. He was a good offensive player, good defensive player. He could score. He really did what the team needed, and he could really do everything, especially coming from the two spot. So I think even without watching him play, you could kind of recognize the overall effect he had. He was even before uh, the team got really good, he was even a 20 point scorer. So there wasn't much that he couldn't do. And that was the big thing the fact that he could do so much for the team and the fact that he was with the team for so long and stuck with them despite all the issues that happened after Shaq left. Now is his reason for being up there.
2: Yeah, and, and, I, and I think Anderson's impact on the team was really, really a big one. Obviously, he, he was he was sort of their first star in many ways. I mean, I know on, earlier in the list we talked about Terry Catledge and Reggie Theus being uh, kind of the, the quote-unquote stars of that original team. But Nick Anderson was always the future, always the guy that the Magic were going to commit to and eventually push forward. And, and when they eventually did in 92 and 93, uh, he really produced for them. Uh, when Hardaway came in, he was able to, to take a secondary role and still be a, a quality player on the roster and, and produce, um, uh, produce some, uh, some, some play there as well. Uh, and, you know, his legacy in Orlando is not defined by the 95 finals. Uh, you know, I don't know anyone in town who calls him Nick the brick. Everyone remembers the steal against Michael Jordan more than what happened in those finals anyway. Uh, and and, you can't tell the story of the Orlando magic without Nick Anderson. And and to me, that's a really big part of this list is, is these are the players that we are, we need to have be part. When we tell the story of the Orlando magic, these are the players that we mention first and foremost. And that's why, you know, a guy like a Bo outlaw and Daryl Armstrong, who didn't maybe produce as much statistically get bumped up because they're, they're so integral to, to the story that we tell about these teams. And, and that's why they're among the 25 best, even if, you know they don't have the statistics to necessarily support it. Nick Anderson is one of those players to me. I'm actually kind of surprised that as we tabulated the scores that he came in at number six. I had him number five. Um, there's obviously a top four in Magic history, and no one debates those four. It's just the order that you put those four in. Uh, but Nick Anderson's in that group right outside. He produced a lot. Uh, has a has an emotional connection to the city, and, and that's why he's always going to be one of the best players in Magic history, no matter who else comes in and out of this team.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. He did everything he worked, he worked really hard for the team. He even improved his three-point percentage when Penny Hardaway became the main ball carrier. He became a really good shooter. He learned to do whatever it takes to win games and I think he definitely deserves to be towards the top of this list.
2: Yeah. Well, David, uh thank you for coming on and and going over some of the some of our list here and being a part of the panel. It's been a really really fun experiment. Uh, I I really like this list. I think it's a pretty Pretty fair list. Uh, we'll we'll see what others have to say uh, when the whole thing is out. Um, David, where where can people find you on, on Twitter if they want to if they want to get in touch with you and talk Magic Basketball?
1: So my Twitter handle is at David Iwan1. D a v i d i w a n1. I tweet a lot about the Magic and some other sports as well. So
2: awesome. Well, be sure to give him a follow and check out the rest of our series. Of we got the first four parts now up on Orlando Magic Daily. Dot com. Numbers 1 through 5 will be coming out Friday as we wrap up uh, this week-long series on the top 25 players in Magic history. David, thanks for joining us again, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later.
1: All right. Thank you for having
2: me. Thanks again to David Iwanowski for joining us uh, for the panel on OrlandoMagicDaily.com with the top 25 players in Magic history and for talking about numbers 6 through 10 with us uh, on Locked on Magic. We'll be back tomorrow tomorrow, with numbers 1 through 5, the top 5 players in Magic history. I bet you can guess who those 5 are by this point if you've been listening to the other ones. Um, Remember, in yesterday's episode, I spoke with Spencer Henderson, who was also on the panel about players 11 through 15, and talked about the rest of the top 25 throughout this week. So on tomorrow's show, I'll talk a little bit more about how Serge Ibaka and Frank Vogel uh, cement the Magic's identity, uh, as well as that top 5 Uh, as we close out this week and get ready for a nice long Labor Day weekend and finish our Top 25 series. I want to remind everyone again to follow us on iTunes. You can download us directly to your iTunes-enabled listening device on iTunes. Uh, Get us on Audio Boom and Stitcher as well, and we're also on TuneIn Radio. Be sure to tell your friends about us. Let everyone know about us. Tell them to give us a five-star rating. Uh, Let us know what you think about the show. Uh, Leave us a comment. It really helps us get more notice on iTunes. Uh, as well. And be sure to listen to some of the other great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network. Just about NBA, every NBA team is covered. Almost every NFL team is covered now, too. Uh, and there's some specialty podcasts, too, including Locked On NBA with David Locke. He does a fantastic job on that podcast. Uh, we used a clip from uh, yesterday's episode uh, with Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com. Be sure to give that a listen. You can download that on iTunes and Audioboom as well. Until tomorrow everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to Locked On to Magic today and we'll see you tomorrow.
0: You're Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando magic. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware folks.